Hello and welcome to the Rabbit Hole, the Definitive Developers Podcast. Live at large in New York. Rabbit Roll Call. Uh, Sophie Kreutz. Dave Anderson. And Michael Nunez. Today, we'll be talking about pair programming anti-patterns. There are a lot of ways pair programming can go wrong. Thankfully, I think a lot of the things that we talked about in our past episodes are no longer appropriate. Like, you don't got to wor- worry about BO. Like, remote programming, BO is not a problem. Don't have to spritz someone down with Axe body spray. <laughs> right. Or even like the physical space. Like, think I, you know, you read books and you talk about, remember, like, Touching someone else's elbow with yours, like that doesn't happen. Oh, anymore. Right. You don't have yeah, to yeah. Negotiating by. the constraints of, of the space. Of the uh, space. Like yeah. having two seats next to each other and cramming in there, getting the keyboard, the ideal dongle set up. Right. Don't need to think about it. The space with good ambient lighting, not those fluorescents, you know. Right. Yeah. Or in ideal world, like the door. Like, but um yeah like now we don't really have to worry about it too much but there's still like kind of sentiment out there that hey like pair programming is not great it's not effective yeah we have an excerpt from someone who kind of wrote a little manifesto against pair programming and I do think he's a bit of an outlier this author but some other folks do have this perception as well yeah, I think I think there's like a lot of the things that he talks about in this tweet. Uh, we can link to it here. Like I would say, like a lot of the sentiment is like higher higher drivers, not passengers. But I think a lot of the things that they're calling out is like ineffective pair programming or anti patterns of pair programming, right? Or it's just bad logic. For instance, he claims that since you have two programmers doing work on the same keyboard at the same time, the output of pair programming must be greater than two times the output of a single programmer to make sense. Right. Cause, and that's not true. I mean, sometimes I believe that, you know, sometimes the output may be less and other times it may be more. Right. And the idea of like, the thing that comes to mind for pair programming often has to do with the code review. If you worked in a, I've worked at a solo shop where you do a code, you do, you put up a PR and two people have to review it. You need two approvals for this piece of work that you did. And rather than pulling people asynchronously to stop their work to look at yours, you already have one person next to you doing that as it is. And when you have someone, when the first reviewer is usually the person that's going to be most critical because the second review is going to be like, well, the first person already did it. So that's fine. Like, it looks great to me. And then like move on. Having a pair reduces a lot of that, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And also like the long term trade-offs of like reducing silos, like kind of evening out the knowledge among the team and like not having a bus factor. So like if you've hired everyone that has superpowers and you know there are no knowledge gaps then maybe that's not a, a problem for you right now but you do have to compensate for that there are trade-offs that you have to make to make that knowledge available so like pair programming is like one tool that you can use to reduce the bus factor or like to speed up code reviews but you know the, everything everything is a trade-off but there are a lot of ways that you can go wrong with pair programming or anti-patterns. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how about a, for instance, like 
Passive pairing. Let's talk about that a little bit. Passive pairing. I think that's like one of the, the crux of what they were talking about here, where they don't want a passenger. They want a driver. Yeah. So yeah. that's like kind of like the idea that like maybe like pair programming is like being on a bus where I'm like sitting at the back of the bus and the person at the front is like at the keyboard driving and I'm just like, you know, reading a newspaper or something right. like listening to <laughs> like music you're on the bus yeah together but i'm not but. yeah i'm not making eye contact with anybody like definitely not right <laughs> tell the driver imagine in new york city you tell the driver what to do on the bus like no he's <laughs> not gonna, they're not gonna have yeah it. right that's just, that's just how you get up how you operate on a bus you get on <laughs> and you shut up right. <laughs> <laughs> ideally yeah yeah. Right. The, but pair programming is not like the experience of public bus, right? Like it's different than that. And to me, it's more, I had to explain this to someone like the, the words driver and navigator are kind of vague. I mean, are weird, but remember 40 years ago, there was no GPS to tell you where you needed to navigate. Like you needed to talk to a person oh looking gosh. at a piece of paper, wow. looking at a piece of paper yeah. Yeah, to ask directions <laughs> to go. And it's like, try to do that by yourself. Sure, you can. Like I'm sure there were many accidents that were caused by individuals looking at a big piece of map on right. a road trip. But that was the purpose of the navigator. It's like, oh, keep an eye on what I need to do, where I got to go, so I can focus on I feel the like road. The cartoon staple: and the person driving with the map stretched across the wheel, and they're like, <laughs> oh, and then, oh no, and then they end up in a lake or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, thank you for reminding me that. I feel like I've just taken for granted that like GPS has always existed, and it was never hard. But I, yeah, I was I was thinking about that. It's like. Okay, you're like you're trying to get to a place in a car, but you don't know exactly where it is. Like you kind of know where it is. Like so that is fundamentally the same thing as like being like, yes, you don't have GPS. And maybe your map is like not right. Like you have a plan, but your map is from like the eighties. And they've changed right. the the neighborhood completely. Like the landmarks are not the same or whatever. Like you, you have There's construction. You got to take an alternate route. Yeah. And then from there, you, oh, know, yeah. you need a whole other plan. Yeah, there's construction <laughs> or maybe you drove through this area. Like you wrote code in this area like a year ago and they've since built an entire new like system. So all the landmarks that you had like are no longer there. Now it's like skyscrapers instead of farms and you're like oh better believe it yeah i'll have you know dave the reason why i called back to not having gps is because i had to go to a phone repair store without my phone working so the only way i was able to do that was to print out the the thing it's like oh it'd be great if i had a pair to be like all right bob you're gonna make a left on this street and then you're gonna make a right i'm just like looking down and going crazy oh nothing better than MapQuest. (laughs) (laughs) yeah nothing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's what it felt like. I time traveled to get my phone fixed. So, like, we can all agree that pairing is not just like being on a bus. You're you're actively speaking with the person who is driving the keyboard about certain patterns and design and features that are going on. So that's a person who may not, you know, speak 
too much. But then you have like the other side of the spectrum, someone who speaks too much or like is distracted often by speaking about other things. And that's definitely another anti-pattern that would need to be addressed, right? It's just like Bobby's distracted on their phone or like trying to see what's happening in the office, getting pulled into meetings while y'all are pairing. I imagine that can cause some kind of, you know. It definitely um, interrupts the flow. Yeah, for sure. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So you you talk about like distractions, like external things happening on on one person's side that pulls them away, right? And like you know, there there were once a time where we went into an office and it was easily distractible that way. But like being at home, I imagine can be distracting too, right? Like I I got a door here, but my three year old can get it (laughs) (laughs) he's coming through the wall like the kool-aid man yeah like the kool-aid man some distractions i gotta i gotta handle but like that's the thing you focus like i can control certain distractions so i can make sure i don't have my phone in front of me with twitter open and stuff yeah sometimes i feel like distractions can almost any pattern can almost be like more painful than passive pairing because at least like when it's passive pairing like there's a resignment where it's like, okay, I'm just doing this by myself. But like when you're trying to like engage with the other person or like you're expecting some feedback or whatever and you're just left hanging. Then or if you don't even know why, right? Like you just, you're talking, but you hear no response. Right. Yeah. It could be because they're distracted, but you don't know why because you don't have that feedback, right? Especially if it's just audio, the way that you're pairing. Yeah, yeah. Although if Geo comes crashing through the wall, like that's a distraction for everybody. <laughs> then, then you'll know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just have him. Uh, he, he it becomes a fishbowl, and we the three of us pair if I'm pairing with someone. Geo's gonna learn how to program. I need him to start collecting a paycheck very soon. That's the you know through osmosis of pairing, he's gonna learn how to program. Right. Which is yeah. great. <laughs> um, I just have to keep repairing that wall because he keeps destroying <laughs> right. when I do it. I'm curious, like in terms of distractions. Do you think something like having Slack open and and just like seeing your Slack messages and responding to them while pairing, is that something we should try to avoid that kind of distraction? I think it's a start for sure. I would say like what I remember in the past was that the navigator was often interruptible so that they, so that the pair can like you know, the driver could continue doing something and the navigator could like essentially shoo someone away or like get someone's request and then keep it for later. But I think Slack is just way like, I don't know, it's, you're more inclined to get rid of that notification icon that's red and then go and read the message. And it may not be anything relevant to the thing that you're working on, which is kind of kind of. Yeah. Bad. So I'm like up at the air. I think that's interesting. Yeah. Like kind of using the the distraction or like the, the navigator as like a shield for distraction like tactically push it away but i do kind of wonder at least for me like i i always find myself just kind of getting sucked into it like it's tough so like but i i could see i could see the argument where you could be like pretty disciplined about it and and do that to keep things moving forward but i do think the, the main focus still needs to be on the work and I think another thing that can be a distraction too is like okay like we're trying to like look ahead or do research sometimes like I might do a quick google to like find an article but I'm going to try to bring the attention back to the joined like work if possible or at least to like share the article with them so we can both read it and then come back together or like or read it together if it's something that's like possible 
Yeah. There's another form of distraction too, which is when, do you ever experience like you're pairing with someone and you just kind of start philosophizing, right? Like you just start talking about the nature of the universe, you know, 42, physics, birdseed, whatever it is. I think I've there's a lot of antipatterns that are I feel like this article was written for me like for sure and that was definitely one of my big like issues it would just be you know like if it's a Monday like we'll talk about hours your weekend like what you do and I just want to talk about the things that I did and it's like no 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 Mike we gotta we gotta bring focus we gotta get to <laughs> this problem that get we to have the work, but like at the same time I, I think some of that is healthy right yeah I I think that the most common form that I've I've experienced this is like when you have a particular task where it's like a user is part of an organization and then you're like okay well like fundamentally like what is an organization like are there like other forms of them like are there different kinds of things is it like, a learning organization yeah How is it structure yeah exactly is there nested organizations like do i need to like right. do this or that are the properties of the organization are they also applying to some organization yeah but like maybe your story is just login so you just gotta like get that person in there get get them into the software and you can make some assumption that's wrong for now about the organization and wait until you run into that and change it. Yeah. Like it's okay to not know everything in order to implement something, I guess. Yeah. I mean, but the, you always got to tie in, you know, that user to the beginning of the universe, like, Oh, how do we ensure that this user goes in? Like, and then I'm trying to philosophize again, going back to that. That's my problem. Philosophizing way too much, some kind of bike shedding, but bike shedding on the universe, I guess. Right. What's well, for it's 42. So let's just like let's call it one and done, right? I think that's probably why the machine did that, right? It's just like, <laughs> yo, that's it. Let's move on. I've been rocking this for what is it for millions of years? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And yeah, 42 is the answer. I think I'm just going to use that as my deflective hypothesizing brain to just continue on and stay stay focused. There is another anti-pattern and it is the keyboard hogging. And I apologize to anyone I've ever paired with where I've, I've relapsed to keyboard hog. As a young developer, I used to always want to like reach for the keyboard and type. And my pair had to sit me down and be like, Mike, as a navigator, try not to reach for the keyboard. So I used to just disconnect my keyboard. Like, you know what? I, this is a problem for everyone. When I am navigating, removing it and taking that out. Or I'm sitting on my hands, but then I couldn't write anything. So I had to get used to it. You said that. So don't be a keyboard hogger. Right. And, and I, I'm talking to and myself. And I guess that's like kind of like kind of forcing the other person into a more passive role where they're like not able to really contribute as much. I mean, I guess like this could even be like where maybe there is some contribution, but like you're not really changing roles at all. Like we, we do we do consider like changing roles with some cadence to be helpful to the process or to keep it like evened out. Well, and I think too, like in a in a virtual space, right, where you're not in a room with the same physical keyboard, then the dictating pairing is what is kind of the equivalent, right? Because when you have someone who's dictating, but they're the navigator, then essentially they're really the driver because they're saying like, type this, type that, do exactly this, click this, scroll down, scroll up, you know, et cetera. And that makes the driver become more passive as well. 
Oh, that's an interesting, interesting look at that. I guess the question that I have, I mean, my example was when I paired in a physical space, do y'all subscribe to the idea that the person, the host of the screen share is the driver? Because uh, I, I feel like that is usually the case. Like I know yeah. I'm less likely to type if someone starts the tuple conversation, right? Because right. I mean- I can, I can type and do it, but it just feels weird because I know it's not my machine well, that's I think, doing I think, that. I think classically, it's the person who's typing that's the driver, right? And so that's usually, usually yeah. also the person who's screen sharing. Yeah. 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 And like you can, with, with a software like Tuple or some other ones out there, you can like control more aspects of their computer, but it's still not perfect. There's still some lag. So like it's there as an option to use. But I think I think the fundamental path that we normally follow is like, yeah, I'm gonna push up the code. You're gonna pull it down. We're gonna run, start running it on yours, and and test it over there. I think like another form. I'm sensing a theme where this is all about like kind of like becoming more passive in the pairing process. Different forms of being passive, and like an interesting form of being passive is just being a yes man, where or. Uh, yeah. It's 2022. Yeah. It's just yes person, I guess. Like it's anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, you. <laughs> so like you could just say, yeah, that sounds good. And like you're checking the box of like engaging or like talking or whatnot. But it it may not be like helpful or constructive. Yeah, it's not particularly collaborative, right? I mean, but if you do agree, right, like, and you can just like try to contribute more than just saying yes, or I agree. And like, you know, oh, try to bring up a discussion. I agree because, and then you can go in and do that so that it, it sounds like your pair is aware that you're understand what's going on as opposed to be like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Just like rubber stamping everything because it's just like that y'all could then strike a conversation. Um, I think the opposite of that is... I guess the unnecessary, I mean, it may not be considered unnecessary debates during pairing, but like, you know, you don't always have to say no to everything either if it's not necessary to say no, right? Like there are some things that you can just be like, okay, that makes sense. And other things like, no, I want to have a discussion about it. Yeah, I think I guess this is like, like a watch out for bike shedding kind of thing. Yeah, like pretty similar to philosophizing. But maybe like philosophizing might be like one sided where it's like, oh, like, but then this may be like more antagonistic where it's like, there must be a winner. Like we must, we'll settle this <laughs> through, yeah. through arms yeah, yeah. combat or so I, I think this again, like kind of comes down to like, you may have to just make an assumption and come back to it at some point. Yeah. I guess the yes person like could actually be a response to the unnecessary debates, right? Because if you just agree, then there's no basis for debate. But then again, like I think also what maybe informs like the the yes person phenomenon is decision fatigue. You know, this is something that happens in the teaching profession too, because you have to make so many decisions every day. Right. Like, how do I respond to this behavior, this behavior, this behavior? What do I do now? The lesson plan didn't go as I expected. I have to shift it, you know, and I think pairing is like that, too. You're constantly making decisions. Should we write the function this way? Should we write this function? Should we write this test? Should we write this other kind of test? Should we put the test inside of a describe block? Should there be a before? You know, just like decisions every moment. And I think that that can lead to decision fatigue. So, 
something to to watch out for, I guess. No, that makes sense. I agree because if you're by the time you made so many, and the issue is that there could be an interesting problem that requires a conversation later. And since you've had that fatigue, like then you wouldn't dive into that conversation. I didn't want to end with yes and then continue on. So that's, <laughs> I really tried to do that. Just, just wanted to mention, I didn't want to be the yes person in, in that conversation. I really do agree. And I think that that is uh, one, an issue that we have to be careful. I think one of the things I want to loop back into the thread, the Twitter thread, and this person talks about like one, like pairing is a one-to-one way of sharing knowledge. And he writes how there are different ways to share knowledge where it's one to end. And I think he uses examples like code review. I think we've had a discussion about code review and how that could be slowed down. Or it's like documentation. Now, I'm sure we're all aware that documentation gets old really fast. And, you know, it can be a way to share information, but someone has to like maintain that document. And oftentimes it falls through the cracks. Have y'all had that experience before with documentation? Yeah. I I mean, I prefer for documentation to be like kind of a guiding thing where it's going to point you towards the the source of truth, which is like the truth is someone said this the other day and I, I really liked it. It's like the truth is in the code in the oh, end. Oh, deep. But <laughs> so deep, I love it. Like, just let's yeah. all get tats. Truth is in the code. Yeah, uh, the, the truth is in the code. Yeah, yeah, the truth is out there. Making a you know nineties, another nineties reference, <laughs> X Files. Uh, but the truth is actually in the code. So you know they were looking in the wrong place, I guess. But yeah, like if you can co- kind of provide like a scaffolding for like understanding how to jump into the code at a high level, then I think that's that's really helpful. Yeah, but like you pointed out, Dave, you know, people over processes, relationships over documentation. Yeah, and like to have your team maintain a document where when the source of truth is the code, it's better to just look at the truth together as a pair, is, is what I believe. But what if, you know, you and your pair are actually just partners in crime so to speak the partners in crime pair i feel like this happened a lot more in person especially in offices that have ping pong tables where it's just like yo uh let's finish this i'll write this oh let's write this test and then run the entire suite which takes seven minutes so we're gonna go and play another match and it's like oh no come on i want to finish this i don't care about ping pong (laughs) i guess that happens when you're like also, like sometimes it can be helpful to have a, a longer break. Like I feel like when you get that doing that Pomodoro, if you're doing that, and then you're like, oh, five minute break turns into ten minute break, turns into fifteen minute break, and it's like, you know, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. This is fine. Or you know, there's someone who has like a bad habit. Uh, like they like to push to master, which you know, sometimes is fine. Like there's there's use cases where that's all right, I suppose. But oh, yellow driven you know, development, you're... let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, <laughs> right. The yellow happens with the pair. Yeah. 
Oh my god. Yeah, no no and then but then like your other pair isn't holding holding you accountable, so you kinda like let it slide and then you yeah. can there's gotta be at least one person where it's like, nah, I don't wanna call that person like the The Maverick. Like the good yeah, the goody two shoes and things, but like one person gotta be the responsible one to be like, nah, Bobby, let's not do that. Let's let's write that test. Like yeah. we, we definitely should figure out how to do this. And it's not like calling the other person out and them not writing tests. It's just, you know, sometimes you wanna wanna go play a, a game of ping pong. So you either finish this really <laughs> fast or like, you know, take a longer break and stuff like that. So be careful with the partner in crime. I mean, pairing is a social situation after all. So there mm-hmm. can be some social influence in in a certain direction. Yeah, no, for sure. So I totally understand if individuals were against pair programming, but I felt like this person came in too hot and it sounds like this person may have given it a try and had very and had experiences with a lot of anti-patterns that exist. I think that when you are aware of the anti-patterns, it becomes a much more conducive way to work with your fellow peers overall. I don't know. I just like pair programming. It makes me feel less alone and I get to bounce ideas with someone and, you know, have a conversation and, and, you know, and get work done together. As I mean, two heads are better than one. And every single phrase that is the phrase that is often said, but for whatever reason, pair programming is not one. Yeah. And it's like, and it's, it's for that reason. And, and many others, it's just important to like, I think consider it as part of the toolkit. Like maybe it's not the only tool that you're using, but. It should be one of you should consider it as one of the great greater tools to like get things done, reduce silos, improve your effectiveness. Yeah, your exactly. And like, yeah, keep your mental sanity. <laughs> that too, pretty essential. So important. Follow us now on Twitter at Radio Free Rabbit so we can keep the conversation going. Like what you hear? Give us a five star review and help developers just like you find their way into the rabbit hole and never miss an episode. Subscribe now, however you listen to your favorite podcast. On behalf of our producer extraordinaire, William Jeffries, and my amazing co-host, Dave Anderson, and me, your host, Michael Nunez, thanks for listening to The Rabbit Hole.